Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. We're continuing this morning in our uh, series uh, studying the book of Hebrews, uh, Greater Than. And uh, we're at a place in chapter 12 where the writer's talking about endurance. And really for the last 11 chapters, now again, remembering he didn't write the chapters and the verses, he wrote a letter. But the bulk of this letter is to challenge these Hebrew believers. They were Hebrew, they were Jewish by blood, but they were followers of Jesus Christ. They turned away from the rituals and the religion of, of Judaism and have now trusted in Jesus. And so much of this letter really has pictures and words and, and ideas that are very specific to them. And so sometimes we read a passage and we may not get everything that's going on. And so as he's writing really for these last 11 chapters, he's writing to these Hebrew believers who are wanting to turn away. They're wanting to go back. And so we've seen regular language, right? Don't drift. It began in chapter 2, verse 1, right? Don't drift. Don't, don't begin to, to turn away. And we've had all sorts of challenges and warnings as he's writing this letter, right? Don't let your heart get cold. Uh, he says, don't grow weary. Keep moving forward. Keep running the race. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, we're, we're not running alone, right? Because we have this great cloud of witnesses. And so all along the way, he's challenging these believers and encouraging them. And we hit chapter 12, and chapter 12 is all about endurance, and, and he begins to paint two word pictures for his readers, uh, that of the runner and that of a citizen or part of a family, uh, which would have been perfect for these Hebrew believers. Uh, because runners, they would have understood the idea of the foot races that took place in the arena, and, and they understood also that in order to be a participant in the foot race, you had to be a citizen. And so he, he brings these two images together for his readers, but this, this chapter is all about endurance right? Like, like hitting a wall and you're, you're running. And, and I, I'm not a runner. I've told you before, when I get the urge to run, I lie down and it goes away. I am not, I am not a runner like our pastor and so many others that are here who love to run. And I go, I don't get it, you know? Um, but when, when Pastor Scott asked me to take this specific passage and over the last few weeks, just kind of been reading it and pressing into it. But um, it shifted a little bit for me this week, as I'm probably sure it did for you. Uh, Tuesday, um, the shooting in Uvalde, a sweet little community about 80 miles outside of San, uh, San Antonio, um, just sort of rocked. And it didn't just rock that little community, it rocked our nation all over again. It sort of shook it. And if, if you're following along with our church and following the small group study guide and you're reading ahead knowing what passage we're getting to, you've been reading this passage this week uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, or from 18 down through the close of the chapter, verse 29. And you would have read all this language about shaking and being shaken. But our nation was shaken again this week because sin does exactly what sin does. It destroys. Evil reared its ugly head and it does exactly what it does. And, and so that causes a shaking in our lives and, and through 
our, our circumstances of life, if you've never been shaken, if your life has never been shaken, it will. And it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing because it turns us back to Christ. You always have an option when, when your life and your world is rocked. You always have one of two choices. You turn to Jesus or you turn from Jesus. And you try to find solutions in the world. And that's going on right now in our world. It's like, well, we need more laws. We need more this. If only this, if only that. No, listen, here's the honest truth. Only Jesus is going to solve the problem of evil. But as, as I was pressing into that, and then Thursday on um, May the 26th, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake hit Peru. Um, and then again, you just look at the devastation and you look at all that. And much of this passage, a lot of scholars would immediately take us to, to the final, right? And take us into the book of Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 16, this great earthquake where God through his spoken word and a spoken voice like thunder just destroys everything. He destroys this earth and, and he, he brings in a new heaven and a new earth. Because that's what this passage is about, that, that being invited into the kingdom of God, we are invited into an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that, that will sustain all that God has in store. But instead of going there, I kind of ended up turning a corner uh, really on Thursday. And as I pressed into the passage uh, and I listened to the news and I looked at everything that's going on and I looked at the division in our nation and, and all, uh, people just clamoring for all kinds of answers. And I just come back to one simple thing. Guys, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Tragedy happens and people always ask the question, why? Why? If God is really a loving God, if God is really a, a sovereign God, how could he allow these things? Because he is loving and because he is sovereign. And, and in his sovereignty, he is Jehovah God. The, the name itself carries the idea that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, yet he's set apart from his creation. And in his sovereignty, there is nothing, listen very carefully, there is nothing that he will not do or allow to bring honor and glory to himself. And we live in a sinful, broken, fallen world where evil does exist. And clearly, the, the scripture tells us that as we come nearer and nearer the end of time, these, these pains, these quakes, this, this shaken up will only increase. The world's not getting better, it's getting worse. And until Jesus restores the new heaven and the new earth through his spoken word, not simply shaking the world, but shaking the heavens and the earth. And it's this idea that this writer is, is, is conveying in this letter to these sweet Hebrew believers who've turned away from the ritual of religion and are trusting in Christ and, and yet their world is shaken. There's a lot going on, even things that we don't really clearly understand, but all this letter is, is primarily a warning to them. Don't drift, don't turn away, don't let your heart become hard. Run your race, you're not running alone. Keep, keep looking at the great cloud of witnesses. Run your race with other people because there's encouragement in that. And this week, I just couldn't help but 
popped up in my head and I would sing for a couple of days to myself so that Leslie didn't have to hear it, but um, just the great old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand. Uh, The first verse of that simply says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The second verse says, when darkness seems to hide his face, which is kind of what we've experienced today. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. You see, regardless of what takes place in this world, through all the evil, through all the sin, through all the brokenness, I know that I am part of an unshakable kingdom. I am part of the family of God and that will not be shaken. My world will be shaken. Absolutely. It is, it does, it will be. My world will always be shaken through the circumstances of the evil and sin in this world, but the foundation of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ will never shake. Amen? That's what we hold on to. And so as the writer is pressing in, he's saying, continue to persevere. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. And so about Thursday, I kind of shifted gears on how I would preach or teach really this passage this morning. And and I unpacked three questions that I want to address with all of us in the room or if you're watching online. I want to ask three questions from the text that simply help you and I evaluate where do you stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And the first question is simply this, where are you heading? Where are you heading? As Pastor Scott has preached through chapter 12 several times, he has asked the question, where are you? Right? You have to understand where you are, but you also have to understand where you are heading. And this became a reality to me a couple of weeks ago when Leslie and I jumped in the car and she simply asked a very straight up question, where are you going? And I said, I'm going over here because that's where you were wanted to go. She goes, no, that's not where I was going at all. But I'm in the driver's seat, so I quickly changed my navigation, and now we are on course to the correct destination. But I had to understand where I was going. And I got the, you don't listen well, you don't, you know. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm listening. I just didn't catch it. I'm sorry. Right? But we have to understand where we are heading. So as the writer is, is writing to these Hebrew believers, he constantly uses some contrast with their heritage and their history. And he does that here because he's redirecting them. As you run your race, it does no good to run your race if you don't know where you're going. What is the finish line? What is my destination? He's already said in chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus right? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep them fixed. But he creates a contrast for them between two worldly kingdoms, one that is shakable, one that is not shakable, one that is temporary, one that is eternal, one that is is based on works and religion, one that is based on faith and grace in Jesus Christ. So let's pick it up right there in chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. The writer simply says, for you have not come Uh, to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given, quote, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, some of you are probably going, so I don't get it. 
I don't understand that at all. If you want to take some time this week, just dump, jump back into Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 19. We get the picture that these guys would have immediately understood that when God delivered the Israelites from bondage in Egypt and took them through the Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's army, and he delivered them. Now they're sitting at the, at the foot of the uh, Mount Sinai where God is now going to establish the old covenant with them. And, and that's the setting. That's what they clearly would have understood. That, that, hey, we're no longer at that place. And so in verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion, right? So here's the contrast between all of our ancestors and all of our heritage was at the foot of Mount Sinai. But now through the new covenant, God is inviting us to Mount Zion, this new place this holy place, this righteous place that is eternal. It's not the old place where the old covenant was established. This is the new place. It's a new dwelling place with Christ. And so he goes, hey, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembling of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven. Now get this, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, don't miss verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel. The contrast here is simply that Abel's blood was all about revenge. Jesus' blood is all about redemption. Now, this, this is a, an interesting picture because, again, I don't think we understand the magnitude of everything that these hearers would have clearly understood. But remember that, that many of them are drifting. They're, they're turning away. They're going back to the old way. They're, they're kind of going back to Sinai. They're going back to the old covenant. They're going back to the old rituals and religions. They're going back to what was temporary and is now obsolete. And he's saying, no, no, no. You have been invited to something that is, is permanent. It's eternal. It's heavenly. It's absolute. The old was all about laws and regulations. It was about sensory. How do I feel about worship? Where the second represents what is heavenly. It's, we, we approach him in, in a spiritual life with grace, with faith, with hope, experiencing his love. And so Mount Sinai represents the law and all of its rigid requirements with, with frightening sounds that they would have immediately put in their head and images that the author portrays with great fear that came from the delivery of the law. Let me just give you a glimpse of that, if I can, for a moment. If I take you back to Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, as the Israelites are gathering at the foot of Mount Sinai, this is what it says, and on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and very loud trumpet blasts so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Just imagine the quaking, the earthquake. This is the voice, the presence of God. You know, we invite God into this place. Could you imagine what would happen if God showed up in this place? The thunder, the, the very presence of God that we would fall down in reverence and awe. So they have this picture, this fear, this trembling. Verse 19, it says, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. 
Jumping into Exodus chapter 20 says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, now get this because he addresses this later in this passage, you speak to us. Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This was their heritage. The rules, the religion. So, some of you come to church and you go, well, I don't want to press in. I don't want to listen to the voice of God. I'm going to listen to Pastor Scott. He's going to tell me what I need to know. But that's not the New Testament church. That's not the relationship that God invites you to. We'll get to that in just a moment. But by bringing up these emotions, the author of Hebrews is now warning these marathon runners, right, to endure. And he's warning them of the dangers of returning to the old obsolete mountain that is gone. And, and he's turning the eyes of his readers away from the, the dread, the difficulty, the hardship of Sinai. And then he describes for them in this passage the beauty of Mount Zion. Right? We, we no longer live at the foot of Mount Sinai. We are now invited to Mount Zion, the presence of God. And this mountain represents the personal loving presence of the living God. Uh, no fear, no trembling. Yes, God is a God who, of justice. He is a holy God who demands justice. He cannot deny himself, so sin must be punished. So what did he do? He paid my price. Sin has to have a price. It had to have a penalty. And God delivered the person of Jesus. That's what he's reminded them through this letter. And so this mountain is, is personal. It's the loving presence of the living God. But, but I love what he says. He said, instead of cowering from fire and smoke, we stand face to face, get this, face to face with verse 23, God, the judge of all. <laughs> no fear. No fear. I'm brought into the very presence of God. I stand face to face in a loving relationship with God, the judge of all. But he doesn't just leave it there. We stand with confidence because we have been sprinkled clean, he tells us in verse 24, with the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of a new covenant. He's simply saying, as you're running your race and as you are enduring, as you're pressing on, as we saw last week, right? No droopy arms. I'm exhausted. I'm not sure I can press on. He says, continue to endure, right? You're not running toward uh, Mount Sinai. You are running toward Mount Zion. You are living and running in the very presence of God. You're running with God. You are running with Jesus, who is the mediator of this new covenant. And he simply reinforces what he had already told them back in chapter 8. Do you remember? It's all about Jesus, greater than Melchizedek. His covenant, this new covenant, is greater than the old covenant. In verse 13 of chapter 8, he said, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's simply reinforcing everything that he's been teaching now for 11 chapters. Keep pressing on. God has invited you to a new covenant and he begins to set our direction. What is your direction? When you think about your life, what is your direction? Is it Sinai? Sinai is, is the old, it's the externals, it's the works. Is it the new? Uh, is your heart focused on the person of Jesus, right? The, the image of Mount Zion where everything is new. It's, it, it's the internal relationship that I have, not the external. It's all about grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You see, you can live life here on earth claiming a relationship with God and pursuing Sinai through all the religion, through all the rituals, asking others to do the work for you, right? Or you can be drawn into intimate personal fellowship with Jesus. What what is your destination? What are you heading to? What are you pursuing? And if you're pursuing the things of this world, that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to have the things that God brings to you if you understand what it is to be a good steward of those things. But if you are pursuing all the things of this earth without pursuing the very things of Jesus, then you miss the point to which he's invited you to run the race. And then when your world is shaken, you, you, you lose stability because you're so tied up in the things of this world instead of realizing that one day everything here is destroyed, everything is gone. You take nothing with you to heaven. More cars, bigger house, a boat, all the, you know, whatever it is you're pursuing, nothing wrong with those things. But if you're pursuing those things more than you're pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you're not running the race to lead others to a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're missing the point. Where are you? Grow up in your faith, right? So that you can do what? So that you can begin to lead others to relationship with Jesus. You can invest in others for the purpose of growth and maturity in Jesus. That's why we're running, and we're not running alone, we're running together. And so that's why he says, right, chapter 12, verse 2, just a few verses early, looking to Jesus. We're running the race because Jesus, we have our eyes fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Not distracted by the things of the world. Stuff's going to happen. Yes, the world is shaking. There's stuff going on. There's evil, but I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep my eyes fixed on Jesus so that when these things happen, what do I do? I fix my eyes on Jesus, who is my solid rock, unshakable kingdom. Evil happens, yes. Do I understand why? No. I don't understand. But I know that God in his sovereignty, some things he will cause, some things he will allow, but nothing is outside of his control. Is it devastating? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. We don't understand these things. This is the evil in which we live, and this is the contrast that that he's giving us. And so he contrasts these two mountains, right, with the two covenants, but then he contrasts, I I love this, he contrasts the very voice of God. He gives us an image of the very voice of God. Let's pick it up in verse 25 because he goes on and he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Now, you you remember we picked it up in Exodus. Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God speak to us or we're going to die. But he's telling them, hey, no, listen to the voice of God. God is going to speak to you. He's going to communicate with you. And so he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Get this, refuse, refuse, reject, to turn away. Some of them were wanting to turn away. They were refusing to listen to the voice of God. They were rejecting him. They were turning away from him. He's saying, don't do that. Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth, 
Mount Sinai, but now he has promised, and he quotes from Haggai chapter 2, he says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. He's simply saying there is coming a point in time when God will shake through his voice, the heavens and the earth. And you can pick it up in the book of Revelation and, and just realize that there is a day coming that the heavens and the earth as it is known right now will be destroyed and God will usher in a new heaven and a new earth for his unshakable kingdom and a place for us to reside for all eternity. We are living for something greater than this world. And that's what he's saying. He says, guys, remember, you are part of a family. You are part of a citizenship. You are a runner as part of a citizenship of an unshakable kingdom. And God will one day remove everything else that is not part of his kingdom. Because we will dwell in his presence, in his kingdom, as part of his family for all eternity. Are you living for that? Is that your destination? Is that what you're running for? Because that's what he tells us. He's given us warning after warning, right? Pay attention lest you drift. Beware of a hard heart. Chapter 3 and 4, verse, uh, chapter 5, 6, don't stray from the path of spiritual growth. Verse chapter 10, just stand firm in the faith or be judged by God. Now he's saying don't refuse him, don't turn away, don't reject him. And he's taken us back. Let me just throw up on the screen chapter 2 where all the warnings began. Listen to what he said. He said, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who have heard. We have to listen to the voice of God. And the seriousness of neglecting salvation spoken by Jesus, right? It was spoken by God at Mount Sinai as he established a covenant. Now Jesus comes and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. It's, it's reinforced through the apostles, through the followers' teachings. And that's what he's saying. It's like it has been affirmed. And he says, you can't neglect that. Don't walk away. Don't refuse. Don't reject and he's simply saying this serves as a warning against the absolute futility of placing our hopes on worldliness. Don't reject what God is saying to you and replacing it with things of the world. God is speaking to us today. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his providential workings in the world, his sovereignty in the world. And we had better listen. He speaks to us through 9-11. He speaks to us through the Uvalde shooting and the supermarket shooting. And he speaks to us through natural disaster. Why? Because God is allowing people an opportunity to turn their hearts back to him. We know just through scripture, I mean, you can get into the prophecy aspect of this passage. We know that as the, the end times gets nearer and nearer, there will be more earthquakes, more natural disasters, more floods, all these sorts of things. We, we understand that. We see that. But I was just pressing into the idea of the shaking in the earthquake. 
Because here he says, in, you know, he's quoting Haggai 2, right, that, that refers to that time when the Lord shall return and, and fill his house with glory as events draw nearer. And so just for curiosity's sake, I looked at some stats and back in 1879, um, an act of Congress created what's called the U.S. Geological Survey. Anybody familiar with this? There were several survey geological nerds in the first service, and I'm assuming there's some here. Um, but I just got pressing into this, and, and uh, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, it's estimated that there are 500,000 detectable earthquakes in the world each year. 100,000 of those can be felt and 100 of them cause damage. You ever been in an earthquake? I'm a Chicago guy. We had gangs and robbers and all kinds of stuff, but we didn't have earthquakes. We didn't have poisonous snakes. So I got those things later when I moved south and west. And my first earthquake that I experienced, I was outside of Los Angeles in San Bernardino, California, and this rumbling in buildings, and it's, it's, it was scary. But the, it says that there's 500,000 detectable earthquakes. When the Chile, the site also says that when the Chilean earthquake occurred in 1960, some of you remember that, others of us don't. Um, I thought this was because I was born and it was like the whole world shook, but obviously not. Uh, the Chilean earthquake occurred in 1960. Seismographs recorded seismic waves that traveled all around the earth. These seismic waves shook the entire earth for many days. This phenomena is called the free oscillation of the earth. Now, get, just get this for a moment, right? There will come a day that through the very voice of God, he will shake the earth and the heavens as we know it. This is the all-powerful God that we have come to know and to trust who expresses personal desire to have relationship with us. This relationship is not based on, on rituals and religions and activities, all these things I have to do. No, it's simply based on the love and the grace and the mercy of God demonstrated to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, inviting us into a personal relationship with him. And, and his voice is not a scary thing. His voice is a loving, tender, compassionate thing to us. But there will come a day when the very voice of God will shake this world, and it will shake the heavens in a way that it has never been shaken before. That is the voice of God, and, and who are you listening to? See, see, amidst all the shaking, amidst all the difficulties, amidst all the hardships and circumstances of life, we have a choice. Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the news? Are we going to listen and trust the government? Are we going to trust them more than we trust the person, nature, and character of a holy, sovereign God? There, there is not enough law. There is not enough legislation. There is not enough of anything that we can do in this world to make evil people good. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that can change the human heart and turn someone from their evil into a person that honors God with their very life. Are these things horrific that take place in our world? Yes, they are. And, and what are we supposed to do with that? As children of God who are running the race, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to run to it. 
as runners who are enduring for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our, our whole mission and our whole purpose is to run to the tragedy, to run to the hurt, to run to the difficulty, whether it's national disaster, whether it's individual disaster in people's life, we run to that to do what? To point them to Jesus. We can't step into brokenness and evil and sin and fix it through our moral code. We can only point them to the person of Jesus Christ who can bring about transformation and life change. But we run to it. We don't run from it. We run to it. That's what we do. We follow Jesus' lead who stepped into the brokenness of his day and into the brokenness of his culture. See, in Jesus' time, uh, there were certain things that you didn't want to be. You didn't want to be a woman. You didn't want to be a child. You didn't want to be a Gentile. And it's interesting. What did Jesus do? He stepped into all those worlds. Jesus came and he stepped into the broken. Suffer the little children. Let them come unto me. He, he went to the Gentile world. He, he stepped into the lives of broken women, the woman at the well. He invited people to himself. And it wasn't about the religion. It wasn't about the ritual. It wasn't about doing all the things. Jesus introduced this new covenant. And he became the mediator of that new covenant. And the writer is simply reminding them, guys, this is what you are running to. This is who you are becoming. You are becoming more Christ-like not Christ, but more Christ-like through your love and your grace as you run to the difficulty and the brokenness of a fallen world and you love people and point them to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're running to. And the voice that we're listening to is the voice of Jesus. It's not the media, it's not the government, it's not all the social media. We can step into that and we should with love and with grace and with mercy and with tenderness. But the answer and the solution is not found in the things of this world that's only found in the person of Jesus Christ. He then transitions, it's interesting, because he transitions to the other side of this warning about rejecting and turning away and refusing. And he uses the transition word, therefore. And we pick it up in verse 28. Because now he shows the opposite of refusing and turn away and rejecting him, right? Instead of refusing him who is speaking, instead of rejecting or turning away from him who is speaking, what does he say? He says, verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And therefore, thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The name attributed to God there is simply speaking of his judgment. He is a holy, righteous God. He is Jehovah who is set apart from his creation. And there will come a point as a consuming fire, right? That he will exercise judgment on all of creation that has rejected him, refused him, turned away from him. And what will remain is this family, the citizenship of heaven, part of this unshakable kingdom. 
So instead of neglecting this free gift of salvation, we respond with a joyful, with a grace-oriented reverential worship and service of God that's marked by awe. We don't do it in hopes that God loves us, but because he loves us, we are in awe and we are in reverence and we respond in obedience to his call on our life, never forgetting that our God is a consuming fire. And the basis of this proper response is the fact that we have received a kingdom, we become a part of a kingdom, invited into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, your world will be shaken externally, but your life should not be shaken. It should turn you back to the person of Jesus Christ. Keep running the race with endurance. Keep looking to Jesus. What are we supposed to do in a shaking world? We, we listen to God. We listen to him speak. We obey. We receive grace day by day to serve him with what? With reverence and godly fear, he says. Don't be distracted. Don't be frightened by the tremendous changes in the world around you. Instead, keep running. Keep running the race. Endure in the race. Look around you at the great cloud of witnesses that are running with you and run together. Keep looking to Jesus. Verse 28 simply says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This week that has simply driven me to my knees to pray so much more. Whenever tragedies and circumstances happen, I, I just pray all the more, God, reveal your glory in the lives of those that are hurt. God, reveal your glory to a, a nation that has turned its back on you, rejecting you, refusing you. You see, we need to pray all the more that God would take the tragedies of this world and turn them into triumph by shaking the affections of people's hearts loose from the world and putting them on the kingdom of God. And that he would use us as runners in the race to help bring that about as we partner with him in the mission to connect people to Jesus for life change. That's what we do. We run to it because our world is shaken, but our lives are not shaken because we're part of an unshakable kingdom. We're part of a citizenship of heaven. And so we run to that hurt. We run to that tragedy. We pray for them. We point them to Jesus. We can't step in and fix the world problems. We can point them to Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed this morning as we close our time, I simply take us back to that hymn just listen as you sit and pray. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. The last verse says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
all other ground is sinking sand. Father, thank you that you are a solid rock. That you've invited us to an unshakable kingdom. God, let us live in the boldness and the courage of what it means to be your child. God, let us run with endurance the race that is before us. And God, let us take as many people with us as we can as we step into the brokenness, as we step into the hurt, as we step into the tragedy. God, would you bring healing to us as a people through the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.